Hello and welcome to season three of Who You Don't See, the podcast celebrating the people behind the stars. From choreographers and songwriters to makeup artists and hairstylists, if they're part of a celebrity's team, we are all about getting to know them. I'm your host, Megan Lawton, and this season we're taking you back to the 90s and noughties, a time of low-rise jeans, bodycon dresses and huge winged eyeliner. We couldn't do a 90s special without talking about the Spice Girls, so I'm so excited to be joined by their musical director, Simon Ellis. It was all fun, it was just fun, we were all there you know, just kind of like not really believing just how crazy this thing was. I mean, it really was. It was like the Beatles. Simon was the guy responsible for rewriting the music for all their tours. He's travelled the world with them and partied with them too. He's also a songwriter and has many, many bangers in his catalogue. If you like S Club 7, you owe Simon a big thank you because he's the man who wrote Don't Stop Moving and Never Had a Dream Come True. And all this is without mentioning the work he did with the one and only Britney Spears. Basically, Simon is a legend, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can. Brilliant. I think we're in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for doing this. No, not a problem at all. It's it's, it's, uh, good fun. Nothing wrong with talking about yourself every now and again, is there? <laughs> something to indulge in, something to enjoy in. Simon, I have so many questions. I'm just going to dive straight in. Go. I, I was Googling you earlier, your yeah. job title, a musical director as well as a songwriter. I think most yeah. of us know what a songwriter is, but a musical director, what's that? A musical director um, for for live concerts, live shows, live tours. Um, a musical director is basically kind of what it says on the tin. Um, you you direct all the music. You are responsible. I am responsible for all of the music, uh, the musical content within that show, within that concert. So it's starting from the very first beat of the first bar of the first bit of music to the very end you um you would create all of the music and all of the um the sound effects and and everything else that goes into making the concert you're also in charge of putting the backing band together the musicians together you're in charge of them um you're responsible for their you know um, uh, rehearsals you're not responsible for the behavior they do that themselves they're they're badly behaved themselves um, but the rest of it, you're responsible for just about everything, yeah. So how does one get into being a musical director? Take me back to Simon as someone who just got into that field. I was very lucky. I, uh, I kind of fell into it. I, would, I was happy I was happy being a graphic designer in London I, um, and fell into the music business, as you do. Somebody asked me to um, join a band and, um, and I got involved in that and then slowly surely music took over i taught myself to play piano when i was 15 um around about 15 years old so i i, I you know could play piano and uh, always loved music um but it was kind of like it just i just fell into things i was lucky my first musical director job um was in 1994 with a band called d-ream yeah d-ream things can oh. only get better and all that um and i uh, that was kind of my, my first real session musician 
gig after after I'd been in various bands of my own and, and I kind of nearly gave up on music and went back to do graphic design. And then I got a call from somebody, Fred from from um, uh, Pete, um, who was the, the, the singer in D Room, and he said, do you want to come and help me put this tour together that I'm doing? So I said, yeah, of course, yeah, I'd love to. And uh, he didn't have a musical director at the time. He was doing everything himself. So... Um, so I went along and met him, and we got on really well. And um, and then about two weeks later, this uh, this is like one of the lucky things that happened that that has happened to me down the years. I've had so many lucky things that have happened. But two weeks after meeting Pete, things can only get better. Went to number one in the charts. Wow! And now all of a sudden, yeah, I know it was crazy. So now all of a sudden, I I was MD. I I asked him if I could be musical director, not really knowing what it was. Um, and uh, he said, "Yeah, fine," because he was away doing all the all the all the press and and all the you know all the uh, um, the promotion for the single. So so I had to then rehearse a band who I'd never met before. It was his band, and uh, so I kind of fell into it that way. That was my first musical director job, and it, it just so happened that the band had a number one single in the charts at the time, and it was it was really I was really lucky. Yeah, I got the Midas touch and to be super cliche, things can only get better. Things did only get better when you started well, working did. with the Spice Girls. Well, th yeah, that was kind of a little bit further down the line. That was 97. So in between D-Ream and, um, and Spice Girls, I kind of then got on a bit of a roll. And then I got a call to be musical director for E17. Remember E17? I remember. Yeah, oh yeah, of course, yeah, bad boys, bad boys, really, really, really bad boys. No, they uh, they were great, and uh, so I did that job, um, and then did another couple of things, and then I got the call, which was the call at the time um, for any musical director to do. So I kind of worked my way up the ladder a little bit, and then and then I got the call from um, somebody saying, "Would you be interested in um, being musical director for the Spice Girls World Tour?" So you kind of don't turn that thing down, do you? You know, that's and the core. That's the core, really. When that phone rang, where were they in there? Sort of give us an idea of how big they were at the time. They were the group at the moment. Well, I mean, I was there from the beginning. Uh, the very f first, um, I did their Istanbul show in 97, um, which was their first shows. I think the first Thing that I did with them was in Cannes. They did the Cannes Film Festival, and they were already huge. I think they had a couple of singles, "Wanna Be" and um, "Say You'll Be There." I think was the second single, wasn't it? Um, so they'd already had those those singles. So they were already on the verge, I think, of being mega, mega huge. Um, and then uh, when we started doing the live stuff. Um, um, late 97, 98, that's when it really kicked off and, and got crazy. And um, I was really lucky to be to be there from the start to witness it all, you know. Yeah, really front, row, front row seat. Were, I've seen sort of videos of the girls sort of on videos back in the day and they were cheeky, they were outspoken, coming into a camp of five women who have big characters, big energy, probably big yeah. opinions. Was that ever nerve-wracking? Not really, no, because, I mean, I I, I was all, I was kind of like, I mean, 
uh, to be honest, Megan, I didn't I didn't really realize or take in just kind of like the magnitude of the whole thing. Like we just fell into it, and we all all were kind of awestruck together at just how big this thing was becoming. And and um, you know, I mean, I would I would be talking to the girls on a on obviously on a on a daily basis and we'd be working together and they were kind of like oh my god I can't believe this is happening I can't believe that's happening and it was all fun it was just fun we were all there you know just kind of like not really believing just how crazy this thing was I mean it really was it was like the Beatles like not one of us or I certainly didn't anyway until much later on down the line ever sit down and think hang on a minute this is actually this is pretty amazing and um, I should step back and just try and take it in I mean I was too busy anyway and um, I was having too much fun and I was I'm like never what there have been that kind of person where I think too much about things I've always just thrown myself into stuff and uh, and um you know, suffer the consequences later. <laughs> I think we can forgive you for having too much fun as an excuse not to zoom out in the moment. That seems like a yeah, great way to be living your life. Yeah, you- that's exactly, you know, that's a really good thing. I was, yeah, I, I just zoomed out and um, and just went with the flow and and um, just had fun. And I mean, the music was great anyway. I loved the music. So it was kind of, it was an absolute pleasure to, to work on those songs and put that concert together and also I mean like the beauty of the girls as well was that they didn't really you know they'd never done it before so they were um it was new to everyone it was new to everyone in that camp I mean, I've done it before so I kind of knew how to kind of almost steady the ship in a way to um you know to keep them focused on the live on the live concerts because I mean that was a hell of a task can you imagine keeping those five focus you can't it's, it's, it's impossible so I just I tried my best give us a favor because you mentioned earlier about behavior and controlling people's behaviors I said that you were working with five girls five women who are known to have big personalities big opinions yeah. you're yeah. there in some kind of managerial role give me an idea of the kind of situations you would be having to manage well I mean <laughs> okay so I would be um uh, the rehearsals a typical rehearsal day so first of all we um we were rehearsing in Cannes um south of France or uh, Le Canet which is just up in the hills of, of Cannes we were there for I think about five or six weeks so what Simon Fuller the manager did very cleverly was um, he got everybody out of the situation you know, everybody out and put us in a place where Nobody could bother us, and we were by ourselves. Um, um, obviously, there was the crew, and there was the, the five girls, and then their their entourage and their their you know security or or, or what you know their helpers or or whatever. Or um, and then there was my band, my musicians, and and um, so I mean there must have been about 30, 40 people, and then that started to grow as well. But my main focus, I I wouldn't have them all day. They would be off doing other things, the various other things that Spice Girls get up to on a normal day, working day. So I wouldn't have them all day. So my main task was to was to try and get them focused into rehearsing the little bit of time that I had with them, which was probably about four or five hours a day. I mean, 
it was like herding wasps. <laughs> it really, it really was. I mean, it, it, you know, there will. <laughs> But having said that, when when we were together and when they were with me, um, they really, you know, they were really focused and they wanted it to be the best show that's ever happened, and and um, they were aware that it was going to be one hell of a big show. Um, we were rehearsing for the for the the two Istanbul shows at, at the beginning, which were worldwide. You know, everybody was talking about these two shows that were about to happen, so there was a real a lot of pressure on us to get this, these shows right. And um, so my main job, I would say, for the like the first uh, first four or five weeks of getting with them was uh, you know, what I would do was I had to break, break down the rehearsal periods into days of, I would rehearse two songs a day um, on the first day with them. And then on the second day, we'd rehearse another two songs and then at the end of the day, we'd rehearse the four songs, those four songs. And then day three, rehearse another two, rehearse. And then at the end of the day, rehearse six. So it kind of, that's the way that I did things. Um, so by the end of it, we were kind of show ready because we'd rehearsed the, the song so, you know, so much. And, and uh, um, but yeah, they were, uh, they were very, very focused, I think. Sounds like they knew that they'd be in trouble if they didn't focus. Well, they knew they had to get it right, and they knew that they had one shot at getting it right. And um, the fools, I don't know why, but they trusted me, you know, with the music and everything, and trusted me that I was telling them that this is the way to do things, and this is, the, you know, because, like I say, I didn't have that much time with them during the, during the day, so it would be like, listen, we have to do it, and we have to do it this way, otherwise we're just never going to get anything I've done. And, How and much? about it. How much was the process led by, or not just the process, but the ideas led by you, or how much as artists did they engage? Um, they would listen to the music that I created. So, I mean, um, uh, my thing, what I do, uh, when I arrange a song, I, I've, I've always like rearranged songs so that they don't sound like the record, um, you know, so that they, they're... Uh, they sound different. You know, um, um, uh, there's a lot of the songs that I've done on the on the Spice Girls tours, especially where I've completely remixed and I've completely um, done a completely new version of of these songs. And um, so I, I, I like you know kind of putting my neck on the line a little bit because because at first I, I I mean I had no idea whether they would like what I was doing or but they really went with it you know they said yeah just do what you like and and if we don't like it we'll let you know trust me we'll let you know you know but they kind of liked everything but again everything that I did there was a couple of things where they went no we're not sure let's maybe have a look at doing something different but that was very rare so I was very lucky in that I kind of got it all right the first time um and um these arrangements that I did have now kind of like really well-known arrangements and they're kind of iconic a little bit, some of them. Um, For anybody not in the musical world, why would you need to rearrange a track for a live tour? What's the need to do that? No, no I mean, like, there's no reason really. I mean, you could just go there and play the song as it is. But that's boring though, right? You want to spice it up. You're working with the Spice Girls. You got to well, exactly. I mean, I've always done it. I've done it with Britney. I did it with. I've, I've like done it with everybody that I worked with. I changed things, kind of for the sake of changing them. 
you know, the crowd don't want to go there and just hear a karaoke version of a song, do they? They want. Mm. I don't know. You tell me uh, when you go to a show. Are you uh, like? Are you expecting to hear the the original songs or? No, you you're like so right. Weirdly, I was talking about possible desert island discs the other day, and I said Beyonce's oh. "Crazy in Love" at Glastonbury because of everything she does and like the funky breakdowns of in the song. Exactly, oh. exactly, and that. That's an iconic remix, and it really is. Everybody knows that remix, and it, and and it's and it, and it's become famous. But yes, you're right. You know, so it it works, and it, it's a great thing to do, and uh, and it's something I've always done, and I'll and I'll always do it. So when you then have the girls, are you working with a choreographer as well, or is it are you just yeah. working on like the vocals and the band? No, not at all. I'm working with the choreographer as well because, or uh, I mean, everything comes from my arrangements. So that's another part of the musical director job is that you're working with not just the the, the, the Spice Girls or, or the artist. You're you're responsible for making sure that these versions that you've done, when you've created the versions that they get to the choreographer and uh, that they get to the lighting people and the, and, and the, and the video world and uh, the pyrotechnics and all the other camps that are surrounding you with, they're all waiting for your versions because, because they can't program their lights. They can't, the choreographer can't, can't do his, his choreography. The video content guys can't put their content together until they've heard your arrangements. Um, so it all comes from the music, really, um, and all that is time coded. So you have to send out time coded versions to all the departments and make sure that the, the time codes are in the right place. And that's a bloody nightmare. And, and um, like it sounds line, like so. a job where there's a potential for a lot to go wrong. All of so this in there the really mix. Is. Yeah, and in the midst of like you're changing, lo if you're on tour, you're changing location every night. If I asked you what's a bad day at work, do you have do you have something that springs to mind? Just a day where everything just was it was not your day. You didn't have the magic touch. No, not really. I mean, if I'm honest, once once we leave rehearsals, once the last the final day of rehearsals, hopefully, touch word, ninety nine percent of the time, everything's set in stone and everything's set set in place. And you've you're, you've done the final arrangements, and uh, and you've sent out all the all the arrangements to everybody, and everybody's happy, and everybody's got their time coded versions, and you're off and running, kind of. So, I mean, I I would say from experience, knowing what um, like the amount of tours that I've done now, it it always takes I would say four or five of the first shows of the tour for things to start to relax a little bit. Normally within about four or five shows, everything's set and everything's locked and set in stone. And then it's easy and then it's just downhill. And then all you need to do is make sure that you don't get too drunk the night before and uh, you turn up on time and do a, do a good concert. <laughs> do a good concert. Now I'm joking. I'm joking. You of get course, as drunk as you I'm like. <laughs> but do you know what? I don't drink anymore. I stopped drinking. Is that perhaps because the 90s and noughties were particularly boozy backstage with the Spice Girls with Britney? That's exactly the reason, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You said, it, it, the minute you said you were having too much fun to work it out, I had to put two and two together. <laughs> yeah. Give us an, because I think, 
if you talk about the Spice Girls, they are, we all have this like cult obsession with them. Give us an idea of what it was like, because you must have some amazing experiences of just like having dinner with the girls in Istanbul. Like, do you reflect back on the less kind of work moments and more the moments of bonding outside of the job and being like, whoa, that was all quite mad. Well, I mean, that was part of it, to be honest. Um, that, Especially with the Spice Girls, they, they liked a good time. I mean, you know, they, they were... Um, I mean, some more than others. Like uh, you know, there was a couple, uh, like a couple that I never really saw out out much. But like, there's a couple of them that were um, like like to hit a nightclub after a show, and and we would all go out together and 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 have a really good time. And, and you know, that that I mean, that's part of touring, to be honest. But at the time, again, going back, it was kind of I I didn't take it in, and not never once did I sit down and think I. This is this. I, I I need to take this in, otherwise I'm going to forget everything. I didn't, and that's why I've forgotten everything. <laughs> Until today, when I'm getting you to rack your brains. Yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> racking my brains. Honestly, I'm trying to th- think of think of. Uh, I can't remember half of it. Is it <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, that's telling. That's telling. Oh, yeah. Is it possible to pick a Spice Girl who could party the hardest, but also had the discipline to wake up the next day and like? Be ever the professional who can bounce um, back they all did um they all well uh, um uh, we never really saw much of, of mel c mel c was um um you know mel c took it very very seriously uh, victoria we never really saw that much I, I, I think i think um mel b and emma um, would go out the most. I think I don't know. I might get into trouble for that because I'm actually working with Emma now. And if and if she hears this, and, oh come on, man, she had a good time. On the day of a performance, like typically, I guess the tour, the Istanbul dates, would you be one of the last people that sort of says good luck to the girls before they go out on stage? Like I think those are the moments we all just like. We'll never know what goes down in those moments, but we all really want to. So, so what would normally happen um, is that we would all get together in the dressing rooms beforehand um, and just kind of nervously chat away and talk away and um, we wish each other luck and things like that. And But uh, normally, though, within about 20, uh, 20 minutes to go before show start, me and my band, the musicians, we're all up behind the stage waiting to go on so so we don't really see them for the last 20 minutes they're 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 by themselves um focusing and uh and preparing themselves for the show so it's kind of like half an hour i would say half an hour before we're due on stage then that's when we say our goodbyes and our good looks and um see you on the other side yeah um or like you know see you halfway through the first song when we up like at, at least can all or certainly me as musical director, I, I I have to be, I make sure that I'm kind of making sure that everybody's okay, the girls, I mean, and um, making sure that they can hear themselves sing and they, they've got good visuals of me and because I'm starting and stopping all the songs and things like that. So um, it's kind of that, that bit of it there is that you have to make sure that, you know, we're all kind of on stage together and, and um, they can see me and I can see them and we're all happy. Is it possible then, to pick a favourite Spice Girls song, a song that you just, no matter how many times you hear it, you just can't help but bop along to? 
two become one. Oh, I love that song. Uh, that's kind of that's. It doesn't get much better than that, does it? I mean, you know, as a, as a songwriter uh, myself, there's a few songs that you get to play live that somebody else has written, and you and every time you play it, you're kind of like. I wish I'd written this, you know. <laughs> it's a it's it is kind of like an incredible bit of music that to become one, isn't it? I mean, I need to personally say thank you because of the songs you wrote with S Club Seven. They were the songs that my childhood, Don't Stop Moving, the Two in a Million, Never Had yeah. a Dream Come True, the Christmas track. I mean, thank you. Well, you're very welcome. You're very <laughs> You're very welcome. That's a completely different story, that is. Blimey. Yeah, um, let's, yeah. I mean, I want to explore that as well. So musical directing is one hat you wear. Let's flip it to the songwriter hat. How would right. a process like songwriting come about? How do you get into the studio with a band like S Club 7? Are they involved in the process? Do you write the song with a band in mind? The, the whole S Club thing came off the back of Spice Girls. So I came off the um, the... Spice Girls tour, the end of that tour, which kind of wiped me out for about three or four months. I did have to lie down for a little bit of time after that tour. I don't mind saying, um, not uh, not just because of the partying. Uh, I mean, it, it really wasn't that bad. The partying wasn't that bad, but um, it was um, more kind of it hit. It certainly hit me when I got home. Just what I'd done and what I'd been, a, a, you know, what I'd been a part of, and. Uh, how big it was, and and when I sat down on my sofa at home on the first day, I kind of I was just floored. I was. Isn't adrenaline out. come down as well? I imagine. Definitely huge, absolutely massive. You know, don't forget you're playing in front of 50,000 people a night every night. It's really weird. It, it, it always happens to musicians, and and it definitely happens to me <laughs> that um, um uh, when you're at home for the first couple of weeks, anyway nine o'clock at night and um is when you your uh, your adrenaline is really flowing because you're, you're you're normally just about to go on stage yeah and it's really strange so um so what happened when when s club webs well, sorry when i'd finished spice girls i laid on a sofa for three months and um and then i got a call from simon fuller um who were who's the man was the manager of Spice Girls, obviously, and he said, "Look, I'm putting together this new band. You know, why don't you fancy? Why don't you try writing some songs for S Club Seven? I'm going to put you in a. I'm going to put you. Um, I get you together with Kathy Dennis to to write some songs with Kathy. Um, and I said, okay. So we were kind of um, we we kind of both a little bit naive um, as to what to do, really. Um, so we got together and, and, and we got on very well and, and we started writing these songs. And, the, the, and the, the first song that we wrote together was Two in a Million. This is easy. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously it's not, and I've found out the hard way since. But um, So we wrote Two in a Million and um, we played it. Uh, Kathy made a demo of it with her singing it and played it to Simon and Simon said that's a hit that's that's going to be a single and and I was kind of like this is crazy so of all the all the things that had ever happened to me um working with Spice and, and doing all the things that I'd done as musical director now I, all of a sudden I was a a, a songwriter and, and I'd written a hit song and that was the biggest thing that that was a real moment for me because I didn't even know that I could do it um 
And when you sound, well, you're in the studio and you've written that song, you and Kathy get your heads together and you sort of got the lyrics, you, you got the melody or whatever. Do you know when a song is going to be a hit? Do you just know you've hit magic? Yeah. Yes, you do. Yeah, you do. You know, and all the best songs, Elton John said, all the best songs are written in 20 minutes. He's, he's right. We wrote that song very quickly. Actually, it's not right. I've written other songs that have taken me four months to write. But um, but um, we wrote that song very quickly and we knew it was it, it was good. Uh, I, but you know, I mean, I've, I've written songs that uh, you you just you just like no, this is this is all right. It's not great. But when you've written something that you, that is good, then you know it's good. You, it's you know uh, there's a certain magic to it. And the and songs you happens. just the song sorry that you just described as all right. Do they ever make it to the album? Are they sort of like track seven on an album or do a record? Yes. Yeah. We, what, yeah. Some of them. I mean. I mean. I've, I've, I must. I've, I've written a lot of songs. So, um, quite a few of them have never seen the light of day. They're just gathering dust on the shelf. But um, <laughs> songs that are good um, will be a, a, a you know will definitely be an album track. I've I've written a lot of album tracks for S Club and, and for other people. Um, but when a song's very very good, then you know it's going to be a single, and you hope it's going to be a hit. And what's that feeling like when you've written? you've made the hit in the studio, you see the band bring it to life and you see it on stage or you see it charting like number one or whatever. How does that make you feel knowing you had such an integral part of that? Well, there's nothing There's nothing quite like it. I mean, that's a completely different high to um, putting a concert together musically and, uh, and um, you know, playing that concert live. That's a fantastic thing to do. And, and I'm very lucky to... to be able to do that but um to uh, to write a song um and to hear it on the radio and to hear it on the radio when it's number one is um something else altogether that's just a different level really and, uh, is it possible to pick a favorite song you've written well probably because of the stories involved um in in them and how they came about I'll probably say Never Had a Dream Come True um, or Don't Stop Moving, one of those two. Don't Stop Moving is a bit of a favourite. It's a banger, isn't it? It's a banger still. It's a banger. I'm sorry. (laughs) Don't be sorry. No sorry needed. Sorry, not sorry. Mate, it's a banger. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I'm sure you could put that. I'm sure it's played in nightclubs across the country every weekend, and I'm sure people still flock to the centre of that dance floor. My daughter was in a a club um, the weekend just gone, and, uh, and the DJ played it. And my daughter, me being my daughter, she was probably hammered and she probably went up to the DJ and said, my dad wrote this. And then the DJ probably looked at her and went, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I hope your daughter knows how cool her dad is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not that cool, to be honest. I'm really not that cool. Not well, that- you're sitting talking to me from a dimly lit pink studio. I think that makes you very cool. <laughs> I think so. Nice lighting, isn't it? Very on gorgeous, 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 gorgeous. It has been Simon so interesting talking to you. I feel like you've given context to so many sort of I don't know, like I said, bands who we feel like we know, S Club, Spice Girls, these sort of faces we're so familiar with. Just yeah. to get that insight from you, 
is incredible. Maybe there's a book in you, a tell-all book about all those partying times if you sit down and get the memories back. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm halfway through it. I am. I'm halfway through it. And it, because I'm I'm from Bradford, I don't know whether you know it's a northern accent. but um, I had a lilt. I had a little twang. Yeah, yeah, it's a tiny, tiny lilt. I lost a lot of it from living down south for 38 years, but I'm back up north now living in, in Ebden Bridge and uh, uh, my accent's come back. Um, what was I saying? Your book. What was it? My book. Um, um, I'm halfway through it, kind of a bit halfway through it. I mean, I've got a lot of notes for it, and the title is going to be From Bradford to Brittany and Back Again. <laughs> love that. Yeah. I love that. That's full circle. Right, right. That's full circle. Yeah. That's a full circle moment. Yeah. I mean, you just mentioned Brittany. Any anecdotes you want to share about Brittany? How long have we got? No, not really. No, she's she's an angel. She's a uh, she's an angel. I mean, that was that's a you know talk about an icon. Um, I'm from a council estate in Bradford, so you don't really you know lads from council estates in Bradford don't really get to be musical director for Britney Spears that often. So I was very very lucky to 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 do that, um, and uh, she's an absolute angel and. Um, I'm very, very pleased for her now. She's sort of got herself back on track. Well, I was going to say that almost in the case of Britney and the Spice Girls, you've seen like different situations altogether, but you probably saw the Spice Girls as a group fall apart. You probably saw Britney go through hell on earth. And mm. by being like an insider to their lives, you're on a sort of front row seat with that. No, absolutely, of course. And and um, you... you, you you're kind of helpless, really. You you can't. I, I can't do anything about it. I'm just a, just there doing her music for her. I, I can't have any part of her personal life. I hope she's okay. I hope they're okay. And support from afar of just being and support. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We yeah we had some some good laughs. Me and Brittany. Um, she's a totally different person when she's not Brittany. Uh, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, like I guess, you know, Beyonce has a Sasha Fierce persona that she talks about. There must yeah. be an element of performing to all of these artists. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, uh, you know she puts on a mask and and um, when we, uh, whenever we were in the room together by ourselves, and uh, which wasn't very often because she, she's surrounded by security people and things like that. But there was the odd time when I was in a room with her by myself. And um, that's when Britney... Um, disappears and she's a just a normal, down to earth, funny, for really funny girl. Um, and then when the, when there's the uh, the knock on the door and the security guys are wanting to take her somewhere else, then that's when she puts the mask back on and she slips back into Britney world and and she does it very well. Um, yeah, she's an incredible human being. I, I've got a lot of time for her. A lot of respect for her and how nice to see her now on the other side like obviously you're not going to undo everything that happened with the conservatorship overnight sure that she has that freedom this they're having this dialogue her story she's owning it now she is and yeah exactly and i for one that, that saw the other side of it from the time with the, my two tours with her when the conservatorship was starting i saw the other side of it and uh and to see her where she is now in the place that she is is just is just fantastic. 
amazing and she deserves every bit of it. Yeah, I don't know, Brittany. Most of the world don't. People on the streets who are sort of leading that free Brittany movement, movement yeah. didn't know Brittany, but they knew there was someone who needed saving. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, what an incredible movement that was, wasn't it? Simon, it has been a joy chatting with you. We always end the podcast with a bit of advice that you have picked up over the years that you kind of now live by. Is there something that you always revisit in your brain, in your mind? No. I haven't got anything. I, I, I literally don't have anything. I don't have any any words of wisdom other than there's one thing that that I've never done, and that's I've never learned from my uh, mistakes until now. I've only just started to learn from my mistakes. But that's because I haven't made any. <laughs> so maybe that's your advice. Don't make mistakes. <laughs> If you're going to make mistakes, don't acknowledge don't admit them. it. Don't admit it. Exactly. Yeah. That's Simon, it. it's been so fun talking with you. I can't wait to All read right, the book. And I'm not even just saying that. I can't wait to read the book. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a beauty. Honestly, Simon, thank you so much. It's been a joy chatting with you. You're welcome. A huge thank you to Simon for chatting. If you want to keep up with his work, you can head to his Instagram at Simon Ellis Music. If you're still listening, I also want to say a big thanks to you. If you've enjoyed the episode, please send it on to a mate and pay us a visit next week when we'll be chatting to another behind the scenes guest. We'll see you then.